Hi everyone and welcome back to episode 5 of the Run Culture Podcast. Today I interviewed Mr. Brent Lawler. Uh, Brent is a great guy, I've known him for a while. Uh, he's a well-established physio from Geelong. Uh, I've coached him this year and it's, he's been an absolute pleasure to coach. He does everything you say and tries so hard. Uh, we've been working towards the Melbourne Marathon and in the process uh, he's achieved uh, 5k, 10k and half marathon PBs this year. So it's been a delight to see and a delight to be a part of. He's also overcome uh, a, you know, a couple of years of uh, injury woes. Uh, uh, so it's, it's a nice story and um, I think a lot of people, especially if you're battling injuries and uh, really struggling to come back, it's, got, it's a great listen and there's a lot of learnings that in, in this uh, hour of um, chat. He, we go over his humble beginnings as uh, a junior athlete. He was actually quite good. And then uh, we go over how he sort of got a bit disenchanted with the sport and uh, focused on his studies, his physio studies um, through school and then through uni. Uh, we go over his triathlon career and, and then what brought him back to running. Uh, his uh, couple of years of injury woes with Achilles and plantar fascia trouble and what he's done over the last year or so to one, overcome his anxieties of getting injured, and two, to um, really um, robustify his body so he doesn't get injured. So, so like I said, it's a great chat. Um, I really think there's a lot of pearls of wisdom in this one. Uh, we're definitely going to catch up again, and uh, we're going to make a bit of a routine of this. Um, we like talking about running, and uh, you know, it, it was good fun. So, Anyway, I hope uh, wherever you are, whether you're driving your car or on, out for a run, uh, sit back and uh, enjoy enjoy this one. Brent Layla. Second time lucky. Hey, Dane. Hey, mate. Sorry. All good. How you going? Very good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. So your car was pulled up a little bit tight uh, post-Burnley. Yeah, which right. was uh, to be expected after running a, a nice PB, so I'm, you know, pretty happy with that anyway. Nice to pull up with sore calves and not be worried about injuries. <laughs> yeah, another PB. Yeah, we've had a good habit of nick ticking a few PBs off this year from 5, 10K, now half marathon. Yeah, it's been a great year and it's been um, great to feel a part of it and uh, see your progress like that. Um, I just wanted to introduce you to the listeners. So, uh, Brent's a fantastic physio from Geelong uh, and he's obviously running very well this year. Um, he took a bit of time out of running, um, then turned to triathlon, then had a couple of years where he sidelined with Achilles and plantar fascia injury. Uh, and then from January, roughly January at the start of the year, we caught up and uh, we started uh, working together and uh, tried to, tried to had, have the aim to build towards Melbourne Marathon and um, it's, been, it's been good fun. Sure has. Yeah. Um, I think uh, let's start from uh, maybe back at the start. Um, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners and um, tell the listeners a, a bit about yourself and um, perhaps uh, how you got into running to start with. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, coming way back to the start, I got into running when I was in under nine. So um, we grew up in Essendon and there's the Aberfeldy track at the end of our street. And so I was... Since probably five or six years old, nagging mum and dad about, oh, can we go down and try out this athletics thing? Looks like fun getting to go run around in circles and, <laughs> and do all the field events. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, had to bring a friend day with one of my good mates, Dave, in under nines. And um, since then, um, had loved it. So did little laps all the way through until under 15s and had good success as a junior at sort of state level and did a couple of national races as well, got a couple of state medals. Yeah, you were quite good, I remember, because um, I had a um, younger brother, Sean, who who was uh, running in your age group. Um, so I remember watching you quite a bit. 
um, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, I remember that because Sean and I had some good battles and you were his quicker older brother. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the very first state medal I won, which was in, I think I was grade five, it was the state school's 1500 metre championships. Yeah. And actually had it as a timed final. So I think there were three different heats. Uh-huh. And um, Sean got silver and I got the bronze. So that was good fun. What time did you run? Um, I ran... I still remember it as well because it was a massive PB at the time. I ran 5.17 when I was in grade 5. Yep. And then I think the next year got down to 4.51, which at the time for that age, it was, um, yeah, it was going pretty well. Yep. Okay. Um, So I did did that as a junior and then continued athletics into high school. Yep. Um, I probably did have a few injuries throughout high school as well between some... I think a, a tibial stress fracture, sort of stress reaction type injury, and even had a bit of Achilles trouble back then as well. Yep. Um, I probably never quite reached the same sort of level at high school as what I was probably thought I'd be capable of when I was a lot younger, um, but still did some state level races um, and enjoyed the cross country as well and did some running for St Bernard's, the high school that I went to as well. And they, they've got a competition, the ACC, which is the Associated Catholic Colleges, which was always a sort of the biggest competition that the school had for the year and did the 3K for the school in uh, year 10 and year 11 as well. Yeah, okay. And um, if, you, if you think back then, uh, uh, why don't you think you had as much success um, going into high school as primary school? Uh, were there any... Was it injuries or uh, like did you start doing other things or other sports or um, were you as keen about running then as you were initially or? Probably, yeah, a combination of a few factors. Um, I did have some injuries earlier on in high school that sort of limited me a little bit. But yep. um, I think I also started doing some boundary umpiring at sort of year nine, year eight, year nine, which... Yep. Um, it was good to get some pocket money and, and I, I think I remember back to some mornings where I would do a cross country race first thing and then a couple of hours later dad would take me to the footy and I'd go and run around the boundary and that would be my pocket money for the week which yep. I loved that, getting to run and get paid for it yep. um, but then as high school sort of went on I probably didn't yeah, wasn't as motivated to run and, and probably didn't enjoy it as much and especially yep. year 11 and year 12 I was probably much more focused on doing well at school yeah and that probably from a young age I knew I wanted to do physio and so I knew I had to get quite a good enter score and had to be very motivated at school and so yeah probably put less of a focus on running um, year 11 and 12 and sort of then fell out fell out of running at uni yeah as you sort of touched on yeah and then ended up having yeah quite a few years out of the sport were you um in a club or did you have a coach uh, initially uh, at, um, in primary school and, and through sort of early secondary school? In primary school, dad was my coach. Yep. Which was good fun. Um, yeah. He would, he always had a rule that because I was, yeah, I'm probably thinking when I was in grade five and six and I was running well, there was always this talk and I think some parents had made comments to dad as well about, oh, he's running really well. We don't want you to train him too hard. So he always made a rule that if he was going to get up with me and train before school, I had to wake him up. So I always had to initiate training. Oh, nice. So he was never forcing me to get up and go. Yep. So, yeah, I've got lots of good memories about um, my, my, I'd set my alarm and go in and wake, <laughs> Dad, come on, let's get up, go for a run. And so yep. he'd rug up on the bike and we'd run lap of the Maribyrnong River before school. So you're getting him out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, a, that was um, hard sometimes trying to... <laughs> drag him out <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's then, great and then so obviously wanted to be a physio from uh, a young age what do you reckon and I, I did too what do you reckon inspired you I had an uncle who was a physio and I grew up sort of at times going to visit him at his clinic and and especially when I had some of my own injuries that's what got me sort of started in seeing what physio was and I remember being pretty fascinated about a lot of his models and anatomy charts he had on the wall. Yep. 
And so I was really driven to learn more about the body, how it worked, how, you know, the, the idea of how our anatomy is and all of our different muscles and, and then chose subjects at high school that would sort of continue to, you know, and physical education and health where I could learn more about that as well. Uh-huh. And um, this is sort of going off topic a bit too, but yeah, that's probably what got me into physio initially. But yep. then over the over time, I then learned more about the personal side of physio where you have to work with the person and not just their injury as well. So it's sort of combining the two of what do you need to know about the body and, and about how to work with that person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny how your initial um, idea of what physio is is a certain thing and then when you actually start to do it and start to learn about it and start to get involved, there's, there's a bit more to it. Um, and I suppose um, your idea of physio evolved and um, you still like it. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And it's, there's always been different challenges and different things to learn over the years. Yeah. But yeah, such the cliche, but to, you know, that we'll never stop learning. The more that I've learned, the more I've probably realised in the past, I thought I knew more than I did. You learn yep. what you don't know and you keep building on it. Yeah, I think listeners will soon realise that, that um, you, you love learning and you've got a bit of a thirst for learning. Yeah. Um, uh, but yes, I suppose I wanted to go on to next was uh, through uni, you, you, you stopped running and, and you didn't run run too much. Um, was Through uni, um, did you do any exercise? Yeah, so not running or cycling, any real endurance sports, but I did quite a bit of gym training, uh-huh. strength training. And I again, it was fascinating to me that we'd be learning about, you know, upper, upper limb or upper arm anatomy. And then I'd go with some of my uni friends, like Tandy and Jay, we'd go to the gym and I'd then be thinking, right, so we've learned about this muscle. I'm going to do this specific exercise. And it, for me, it was a way to apply what I was learning at uni as well. Yeah, nice. And um, Claire, who's my wife now, was uh, my girlfriend at the time at uni. I and that was Latrobe Uni. That's right. And yeah. Yep. You were you were a year, a couple of years ahead of me. Yep. <laughs> um, I found that I was probably learning the anatomy quicker than her by applying it in the gym too. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, something to link it to. Yeah, exactly, and and that's probably me being practical and applying it as well. Yep. So without ever getting into anything like bodybuilding, I was just really then fascinated about some of the guys that would be, you know, have probably these impressive physiques about how they trained and then learnt more about their diet and how much they would emphasise recovery. And that was something that I just found really interesting um, as a different sport. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And so then uh, you got into triathlon. Uh, when was that? Uh, that was 2014. I started training with um, a squad endurance team in Geelong. Okay. And probably so probably six months before that, the end of 2013, I, I decided to get back in to do some running. Yeah. And, um, yeah, thought it would be good to get a road bike and then started doing a bit of running and riding and, and feeling better and thought, actually, why don't I try to give them triathlons a go? But I... I definitely found that swimming was a real challenge, and so I, I found a, a triathlon club to get more specially direction with swimming. Yeah, sure. And and what was the inspiration there to get into triathlon and, and uh, start triathlon training? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it was just the I was drawn to something that was new that I had never done in terms of mastering a new sport. Yep. And, yeah, bike, getting a bike and then learning about the different types of equipment and then how to get a bike fit um, and then how you, you know, learn about transitions. And um, not that I'd ever mastered running or how, how you ever think you could, but I just I think I was drawn to learning and mastering these new sports. Uh-huh. Um, and then, again, being a physio, I think I was also learning around um, the importance of, say, swimming technique and, and cycling bike fit position where... Whereas physios might assess people and, and come up with, you know, if they've got weaknesses or things that might be contributing to injuries, but it also taught me how the importance of, yeah, um, the sort of sporting side of what a coach might work with you on as well as what you might know as a physio. So there's this whole other world I realised I didn't have knowledge on. Yep. And, and, and you you got you ended up doing a half Ironman, didn't you? 
Uh, I no, I did um, sprint and Olympic distance tries. Yeah, and yeah, so I set the goal to do an Olympic distance triathlon in under two hours, which I was able to do, and then actually qualified for the Chicago um, Age Group World Championships in 2015. So that was yeah, really good fun um, to go wife and well, Claire, my now wife and mum and dad came with me and um, it was pretty cool to travel you know, over, the, over to the US and, and do a race um, in Chicago down the main street and swim in Lake Michigan. Jeez. And um, how, I, how did you end up going? Uh, in my age group in the Olympic distance race, I came, I think it was 30th and there was no, about 80 or 90 in the race. Yep. Um, which was... I think it was, yeah, I was happy with the result. For me, I think getting to into the race was a, probably the main aim, and so it was more about doing as best as I could on the day and enjoying it. So I guess the race itself was more sort of like the, the bonus or the payoff. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, sort of getting on about the triathlons, um, I really enjoyed doing them. And I, as I qualified for Worlds, wanted to put as much as I could into it, and it got to the point where it was basically taking over my life to be able to train yeah, I remember uh, you saying and that. do well. Yeah, that you sort of, that you, you were deciding a lack of time and that's why you sort of uh, went back to the running. Yeah, and I guess even in terms of, and I'm sure you would talk to other people about this as well, it was, I guess we all have the same amount of time in a week, but I felt like I didn't want to prioritise triathlon over everything else in terms of, you know, there was definitely times when I wouldn't have been pulling my weight at, around the house and Claire would be, you know, doing extra things because I'd be out training all day or weekend and um, having to be super organised and, and planning meals for the whole week ahead of time. I sort of thought, yeah, I got to the point where I wasn't loving it. And so yep. um, I got to the Worlds and then that was sort of the last triathlon I actually did. I decided to take a bit of a break from triathlon. I thought that I might do some running for a few months and then get back into tries, but... Yeah, getting back to running has been so time efficient and I've improved so quickly that it's been, um, yeah, running ever since. Nice. And so how much how, how much time were you devoting to the triathlon? It was up to 20 to 25 hours a week when it was at its peak. Yeah, that's a lot of time. Yeah, especially compared to, to running. Like yeah. now thinking to on a Sunday, there were times when we would go for a five-hour ride. Yep. And um, I, at the time, I loved it. You know, we'd have a good group and we'd have a lot of dance and with everyone and, and joke. But, yeah, it's, it's a big commitment. And it was often that debate on Sunday morning. You'd think, do I get up at 4 a.m., which is ridiculously early, but then I've finished my ride by, you know, 10 or 11? Yeah. Or do I sleep in and then I, I start riding at 10 and I get home at 3 and I've lost my whole day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, far out. So, and now, like, when you look at your weeks now, like, I mean, yeah, sort of around that 10-hour mark. It's much more manageable and just efficient. Got your running shoes. I can leave them in the boot of my car, go straight after work. Yep. And also, yeah, it puts into perspective that with my next program will build me up to doing a two-hour 45 long run. <laughs> and compared to a five-hour ride, it, it doesn't feel like it's that insane. Yep. Sort of perspective. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, that sort of gets mm -hmm. us to where I wanted to... Um, uh, sort of talk about um, in a bit more detail but at the start of the year um, I remember you coming over to my place in Frankston from Geelong and um, mm. us having a chat and um, and you showed me um, your last six months of training and um, in this immaculately kept diary <laughs> and uh, you're sort of um, up to um, about 40Ks per week, but over the six months before that, you'd really applied yourself and slowly built up um, using um, Tim Gabbett's kind of uh, principles. Yeah. And uh, it was fantastic. And um, I suppose tell listeners about the two years or thereabouts of trouble that you had uh, um, leading up to those six months and uh, why you decided to really do that slow build and... Uh, yeah, what what were you hit with after your triathlon career when you tried to get into running? Yeah, I think to start my running out of tries, I probably had a really good aerobic engine from so much of the cycling and, and some of the running. And 20, but I 25 hours of exercise a week. Exactly right. Yeah. And then 
just then putting that, you know, sort of the example of you've got your um, a good engine and a weak chassis of a car, and so I was just continually breaking down with injuries. So I had lots of issues with I'm, I'm left and right sided as well in terms of Achilles, um, some plantar fascia, even getting some other sort of strange niggles with um, the fat pad between my Achilles, um, and even some um, the sheath between your on the outside of your Achilles as well. So, and these were all sort of, I went through lots of phases where I'd have an injury and so I'd need to have time off and then I'd, you know, come back really gradually and carefully or what I thought was gradually and carefully and I'd then get injured off what I thought was um, safe training. And so you then sort of follow this vicious cycle of you lose more fitness and you lose more sort of, um, your body becomes less robust. And so... (laughs) you get injured again and so you then have more time off and then you're less robust and you get injured easier. So um, I sort of had this cycle of, yeah, two years where I still was able to run some PBs but I'd almost run a PB in a race and then break down soon after and have to repeat this cycle. Mm -hmm. And in one hand it was, I got, yeah, to to not get so frustrated or as how to manage it, I, I guess my thought was, well, I need, need to learn more about well, what is smart training and how much should you increase to avoid injury. And when I had niggles with my Achilles and plantar fascia, I got very good at learning about the importance of strength training and um, other exercises that would would sort of build up that robustness that I was lacking. Yep. And um, to a degree, did, did find some improvement in um, getting my half marathon time to one, one twelve uh-huh. um, in two thousand and eighteen. But um, yeah, it, the last time I had a niggle would would have been in August two thousand and eighteen. Um, that's when I decided to do, as you mentioned, basically what we we've called a full rebuild, where I um, I stopped running completely, but I did that because at the time we, my wife and I were traveling and so we were hiking in the Dolomites in Italy. Yep. And so we thought, well, if I'm, I'll stop running, but I'm going to be like actively walking on my feet each day for, for this fortnight, which again, we would as physios often stop people from completely resting because that's often just as bad as overdoing it as well. Yep. Um, and so then followed this really systematic process of, um, starting with some, if, if the listeners are familiar with, we call isometrics or sort of static strength exercises where you, you're strengthening, say, for me especially, it was my calf muscles. Yep. Um, and then building that up into more of your typical calf raises and then adding external weight and, and being that we were travelling at the time, I had to get a bit creative with <laughs> using the suitcase for resistance and the backpacks and got to a point where I was you know, Claire as a resistance oh, as well. So, really? Claire, like, to, <laughs> so to do like seated calf raise, I'd sit down and put, I'd get Claire to sit on my knees and use her body weight as resistance. Oh, three by 45 seconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so follow this really gradual process of increasing the, the weight that I was doing um, and, and the running. And um, yeah, without going like I talked to a physio about it but probably the main thing that Tim Gabbett taught me about your training load when I was coming back from from almost nothing was monitoring what you'd call your chronic training load so which would be the average of how much you're running over a four-week period Mm -hmm. and you're comparing that to what you might have done in your previous week yep and it comes up with a bit of a ratio but basically it's it's a it's a more scientific way than the there's sort of a not a myth but the belief that you follow the 10% rule in terms of you might increase your total weekly running by 10%. Yep. But it's sort of a bit of an arbitrary number. Like, I don't know if you, you know, say any more to it, but I don't know where that 10% rule has come from. Someone thought it was a good idea. So that tends to be what a lot of people follow. Yeah. I think it's just small. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, I, I suppose um, there's no magical n- number, but like, I'll, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And um, yeah, so looking at this, it sort of taught me as well to gradually increase my running, but also the biggest thing it taught me was when I had some, a week where say maybe I've been running for six weeks consistently, um, you also can't drop your running off too much because then you want to keep it in that sweet spot, we call it. Yep. Well, with patients at work, I'd often talk to them about 
you know, the Goldilocks um, fairy tale of, you know, the porridge being not too hot and not too cold. You need to find somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that your, your body doesn't like change in terms of increasing way too quickly, yep. but also if you stop too quickly, then if we're talking about, say, tendons and muscles, they often don't like an unloading as well compared to an overloading. Yeah, that's, no, that's um, great. Um, and, and so for listeners um, that don't know Tim Gabbett, he's um, a really um, good uh, exercise uh, science researcher with a lot of studies into, into um, loading and um, uh, gradually, um, gradually increasing your training load and, and how that can uh, reduce injury. Um, so I think he explained it really well. And when you came and saw me at the start of the year, uh, you had had a had um, an Excel spreadsheet with all the um, mathematics um, there. Um, so you, you'd done it immaculately, and um, so you made my job pretty easy because um, over six months you had really built like um, this nice block of consistency. So you you really did have um, uh, you know a fair fair bit of strength behind you. Um, and I'd like to think that you had a bit of base behind you. Um, yeah. Uh, but I suppose what was what were you really struggling with confidence-wise um, in January when you uh, when we had a chat? Being a physio, I I think I was too hyper vigilant mm-hmm. with my own body and my own symptoms, and I probably learned to over-analyze the day after I had run how I would wake up and feel in the morning. So often we might work with patients and explain to them that if they they might have a, say they've got a niggle in their Achilles, we might be concerned about how they feel the following day. And so I sort of got into this cycle of, of training that it felt okay and then I'd almost be anxious about getting out of bed the next morning because I think, oh no, if, if my Achilles is stiff, then that means it's not settled and it means my training's, you know, I've, I've overdone it and, and sort of all, I could sort of see how this... Um, it sort of spiraled a little bit at times when I'd then really stress. Oh no, my Achilles is stiff. What do I do? Yep. And then I'd sit in my look at my spreadsheet and plug in. Oh, how much should I run next week? And yep. um, oh no, I have to do less now because it's stiff. And so I probably was. I had the science of what I was doing, but I was yeah um, trying to phys- yeah to be too over analyze everything as a physio and probably couldn't take the step back that I would do if I was treating someone else. Yes. And so I got frustrated at myself too to think, well, I know this. Why am I not doing it with myself? Because I know how to manage other people. Yep. And that we've had good chats around, yeah, getting confused with, you know, passion yep. versus your own knowledge. Yep. And so, yeah, I was quite sort of, I'd, I'd had too many times when I'd increased my running and added speed work where I'd got injured, but that's where I was struggling. This was in the past. In the past, yeah. sorry. Yeah, when I was self-coached. Yep. And... So then, yeah, talking to you about where to, where to next, I, I seemed quite reluctant to progress myself because I thought, well, I'm actually not injured. I, I want to keep it that yeah, way. Yeah, I felt like you were almost um, scared. Or I was like risk you averse. Were, you, just, you, were just too, you, you were just so happy to be running again and injury-free that you just yeah. you were too scared scared to add intensity or you just, um, yeah, you were just happy to be. But then you didn't know how to, like, well, and it's, and it's so true for... Um, I've had trouble with blurring um, concepts like passion and, um, and and what I do know as a physio too. Like it's um, it's just different when you when you're um, treating yourself, and it's a, a common yeah. con- common concept amongst uh, so many running physios. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that made me feel better when you told me that too, and thought, oh, good, it's not just me that's the, this physio that keeps getting injured and can't manage himself. <laughs> nah, nah, it's uh, it's hard, hard to treat yourself or coach yourself um it's very easy to running's that an obsessive sport <laughs> addictive sport and um, yeah yeah so then often uh we decide to run when we probably shouldn't um uh, even when it's logical not to but then it's almost like you went too far the, the other way um yeah yeah i was definitely the other way yeah, yeah. um so from this year uh what did you sort of I suppose, um, what have you sort of learned from a push versus hold back point of view? Yeah, well, you've really been able to, if anything, also work on my mental confidence um, and 
and in a way show me, look, look how far I've come, um, and learn that I, I can trust the training that I've done in terms of gradually increasing training, um, adding in things that I haven't done in a safe way. Yeah. Um, I think you, yeah, it sort of also taught me about, um, well, good pain yeah. versus bad pain. Yeah, I guess on sort of that topic, and again, this is probably my experience, so it's not always what I would be working with other people with their injuries because they might be the other way if they're pushing too much. Yeah. But for me, it's been learning to get up in the morning and not worry about how do my first couple of steps feel. Yeah. It's been more about if my Achilles is unsettled, then I'll, I'll notice it throughout the day without having to sort of stand up and go, how is the next step going to feel? And just learning to sort of take a step back um, it sounds obvious, but I have had sometimes had to tell myself, well, when you when your Achilles is actually sore, you won't have to question it. You'll know. Yeah. Whereas I was almost looking for things that weren't there and, and thinking awareness was pain as well. Yeah. And um, in working as physios, we often learn about when people have what we would call chronic pain or persistent pain, their body can almost become. Um, a bit misrepresented in their brain uh-huh. and we talk about this smudging where yep. someone that has lots of you know chronic back pain or a long history of back pain they the part of their brain that represents their back might become you know much bigger in proportion to the rest of their body and it's almost like it was like that for me for my calf and my achilles yep and um so it was yeah learning to know that a bit of discomfort and pain is actually okay yep and, and not to stress about it or to come up with a plan of okay this is what i'm feeling and, and what will i do and it's almost like as a marathon runner it's it's normal to have a niggle or it's normal you know you're, you're yeah. running that much that and you're trying to improve and you're trying to get fitter and you're pushing the envelope to an extent that uh having a bit of soreness means that you're actually strengthening your muscles uh or you're actually strengthening your tendons you're um so uh, like i, I think exactly. um, yeah I, I think also like reframing it like that that you shouldn't be perfect the next morning um mm. like that's just the part and process of, of being a, a, a runner to an extent so i mean it's a fine line like this um like you don't want to be hobbling the whole day um but exactly. you know if it's just for you know um you know 10 seconds 20 seconds in the morning and then it really warms up and you don't even notice it um that's almost mm. normal exactly yeah and it's and again for me to hear you talk about that or some of my other running mates that they have similar things as well is to go oh in, in a way it normalizes that and um for, for me it was also about oh yeah if i had a bit of stiffness in my my hip in the morning i wouldn't even worry about it but why am i worried about it in a different body part so i was learning not to treat how I was feeling in different areas of my legs differently. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. If you wouldn't stress about that niggle, then let's not really a niggle. Don't stress about this one. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, that's so so accurate. And because you got so used to um, looking at the Achilles and, and it's it being being attentive to the Achilles, I suppose you you're more likely to to feel it. Um, uh, I suppose attention, like being attentive, um, you, you're more likely to feel something. Uh, whereas you know. If you're distracted and um, you know try to think about other stuff, or um, yeah. like you're less likely to feel pain. Um, so, exactly. I, I think um, it's a good concept because um, I think it's, it's it's an important one to cover um, as like running physios that an element of the discomfort we get once we've had a, a troublesome injured area for a number of years. Um, does but does become that um, hypersensitivity, I suppose. Yeah, and also taught me to not tr- um, palpate or really in the more you know feel my Achilles because even if I do that now, it might actually be a little bit sore even though I'm fit and have no niggles at all. That you learn what are reliable and, and unhelpful things to do. Yep, and and that's hard to do as a runner. We're always um, when you're at work and you've got a bit of a niggle. Oh, you this? tested yeah. about every every um you know every five minutes. Exactly. <laughs> and in terms of that sort of good pain versus bad pain as well, it's yep. it's also been 
learning and, and this is probably more, you know, generally applying to people or when they're trying new, new exercises or if we're doing, um, working on some injuries, there's also learning about, you know, is your pain um, something that's irritable where it's, it's there and it's persistent and it's grumbling away for the rest of the day versus do you feel it at the time but then it goes away and it's just sort of learning how it's behaving as well can tell you a bit more information. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Um, fantastic to add. And, um, yeah, just knowing to, um, the difference between good pain and bad pain and uh, um, means that you're more aware of what pain to listen to and what pain to, to say, oh, no, it's okay to either run through or slightly modify training um, with. Yeah. And, and there's been a number of times over this year that we have uh, modified training and, and I suppose... Um, uh, that's part and parcel of the process and um, uh, I suppose what I wanted to go on to now was um, uh, what with um, your strength training routine, you do that a couple of times, once or twice a week um, in the gym. Um, yep. What is it? What do you do? Um, key thing for my strength training in terms of the goals uh, to keep me running, so keep yep. me keep that robustness we talked about. Um, but also, then it has the nice side effect of also improving running performance as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I would a- absolute minimum definitely do once a week. And this year is really where I've been consistent with twice a week, and it's been a good example of the difference between knowing and actually doing. Mm-hmm. In terms of, I wrote up a bit of a strength program at the very start of the year. And I think, I've, again, I get too excited and fully research the topic and I come up with this, you know, inverted commas, perfect gym program in terms of hitting all the right areas and, and, and did it a couple of times at the gym and it was taking me, you know, more than an hour, a couple of times an hour and a half. Yep. And I think I was, you know, having fun with some of the exercises, trying out new things, but realised I was just skipping the gym because I didn't, didn't want to spend that much time. Yeah. And so what actually got me to be really consistent this year with the gym was to almost make it a game and say, well, how can I get in and out of the gym in half an hour but do all the important exercises that I need to do? Yeah, I love it. And it forced me to then, with the knowledge that I had about strength training, to say, well, you need to pick the right exercises that can, yeah, tick those boxes. And some exercises can cover a few different areas. So first thing that I would always do and would never miss would be um, working my calf strength. So I'd be doing um, seated calf raises that are working on soleus um, and straight leg or single leg calf raises as well to work on gastrots. Yep. And again, my reasoning for those two are also that it's, um, you know, strengthening the calf, but it's, it's I would often modify them to be good for my plantar fascia as a strength exercise as well. Yep. Um, and then the other things that I'd be working on in the gym would be working on hip strength. And a big thing that I had sort of been re- researched around and, and looked into with running as well would be um, all those squats can be very good. And I often still would do squats and other exercises like deadlifts um, or say a modified version of a deadlift with, I don't know if listeners are familiar with a hex bar. Um, which is a, a bar that would sort of go around you rather than be a straight barbell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, one of the things that I added this year that was different was also doing hip thrusts and more exercises that would be more like a, a bridging-type movement as well, where it's working on your your glute strength and the ability to extend your hip backwards, and that's sort of mimicking the action of running as well. Yep. But often if we were doing something like a squat, um, when you're at the top of the squat, your hips are straight, um, but they're not really taking much weight of the bar compared to when I would add something like a bridge or a, or a hip thrust exercise. You're working your, your hip extensor muscles um, in that same position of running when your hips are, are back in extension. And that's been something that I would often um, think about what it feels like to use my glutes when I'm in the gym, I'm actually often thinking about that same sort of feeling 
when I'm doing my faster running. Nice. So what it feels like to sort of activate or just sort of like a bit of a mental cue as well. So some of the positions in the gym, you're trying to make them functionally specific to the position you are in when you're running? Yeah, exactly. And some of them might look like a running position where you've got your arms in an arm swing position, but some of them might mimic just the leg position of running. But yeah, there's that specificity to what we're trying to do outside of the gym. Yep. Um, and that's always been the thought that it should complement my running, that if it, if I'm doing that and getting strong in the gym and building strong ankles, knees and hips, then I should be able to run for longer and also yeah, have less injuries. Yeah, tolerate the, the increasing Ks that you did this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, often um, i found that it's worked well this year as well would be all trying to do my gym on the day I do a running session, the hard running session. Yep. And that's been good for me to then balance out having um, my harder days are hard because I'm doing this, going to the gym and doing a run session, but then I'm having the, the balance of the easy days either side of it too, which has been good. And that's after the, or before? I'll do it after. Yep. Um, at least a couple of hours if I can after, yep. but sometimes if, if I'm, if I do a night session, running then i'll just go to the gym straight after as well yeah just get it done yeah and it's been again being able to modify that sometimes if i'm just getting it done and i'm tired from my session if i i might do one set of each exercise but i do work them quite hard to being close to fatigue or failure yep so there might be less volume there but it's still the intensity of that strength training which um a lot of runners can be a bit scared of going heavy in the gym or pushing hard yep um, but I'll often use my, my my legs as an example and say, look at my chicken legs. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not doing huge weights, but I'm going pretty heavy and I'm not putting on size. So don't worry about going hard in the gym if you're ready to do so. Yep. No, I, I think that, that's um, really good advice um, with where to place your gym session. And I think you, you, you particularly focus on, on the calves a lot because I suppose that's where a lot of your injuries have, have been. Um, yeah, and, and then yeah. Uh, I reckon you're quite a toey runner, and and um, I suppose it makes sense that because you you use your calves a fair bit when you run, like it, it, you've got to you've got to try to make them quite robust. Exactly, and it might be that someone else that's had knee injuries, they yep. they might still do calf work, but they might have a different emphasis on their program. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Well, um, and then. Uh, now, if someone was to look at your mileage on Strava, you're, you're up at, um, you know, above 100 k's in the week. So you've done really well. Like, you've, you've got it up from 40 gradually all the way up to 100. And, and that's not, not just doing that. You've added some intensity in there and some really big sessions and good sessions this year. Um, mm. uh, I mean, what, what have you learned this year um, uh, in terms of, I mean, did you think you could do that if you look back at, at it in January? Yeah, you're right. I No, I, I don't think I did in January believe that I could have strung together, you know, three months of 100k plus weeks. Yeah, in that shorter period of time. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's testament to how you um, built that confidence in me and guided me towards doing it. Um, and, you know, it taught me a few other lessons as well around making sure that we do go really slow on our easy days yeah and, and yep. when we say easy like there's some days when um you know i'd be running with claire my wife and, and the dog and feel like they're dropping me yeah i'm going so slow and, and i've learned that that's good and i feel much better the next day for going truly easy i think that's one thing we really spoke spoke um about at length at the start was um to to not get carried away by the watch um and not not get too too carried away by pace and and really treat those those days off um, as recovery and regeneration days and um, repair days and um, yeah you're getting some mileage in the legs but just go slow exactly and what else helped me to go slow is I like how you changed my thought of instead of running each run to a specific distance yep I would just run for time and uh -huh. so on my watch when I'm running all I would do is run the stopwatch and have no pace and yep that's it and so I'd almost be like playing a game of oh I wonder how slow I can run on this recovery run because I know I'll feel better for it yep 
and and I think that 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 was, that was important because um, as runners we can we can get carried away because we are competitive and we do like we do want to get better. That's what like if we've got goals, we 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 can, it's easy to fall into a trap is of more is better and you know if we go yeah. harder then we're we're training harder. If we go slow, we're being lazy. Um, mm. But I, I think that was a, that was that was really good by you to just watch the time rather than the pace. Yeah, and it, I think I learned too that it, yeah, it takes more um, mental strength to be able to do that. And so that I then would get confidence from it to then say, good, now I've had two easy days, now it's time to go hard when it's the hard session day. Yeah, and I think um, what helped you stick to that plan was that you did start um, ticking off some PVs. Yeah, and it sort of the proof was in the pudding that yes, is working. Yeah, time, time on feet was the goal for the easy days, and um, yeah, exactly. It's easier but to stick to when you when you start improving, and um, I mean, so what times have you got down to? And, and tell us um, maybe about um, your five k that you did this year. Yeah, so got five k down to fifteen twenty six at a park run. Where'd you do that? That was in uh, just near Noosa. I went up for a, a Craig Davis, a good mate's wedding, <laughs> and um, we had a good battle. We um, had a good chat going about it for a few weeks before the showdown with with me, Hutchie, Daniel Hutchinson, Craig, and, and a few of the others for the wedding. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a, a good example of just getting into a park and trying to hang on to Hutchie as long as I could and getting dragged through for a PB. Yeah, that's a great time at a park run. Like, I think that's, an indication that um yeah if we um can you know if you're keen for it after melbourne that um you, sh- you should try to do a 5k on the track and um um and and their sub 15 is definitely there it's a nice goal i think it'd be good to work towards that yeah and um yeah the on that day in the park run too it was um it was pretty windy and it was a a little bit hilly course so yeah it gives you confidence to know on the track it'd be nice to knock that pb off again yeah, and what was your PB before that? Uh, in a park run, it had been fifteen fifty. Yeah, and my track five k is fifteen thirty one. Nice. And what what year was that? Uh, that was from two thousand and seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and it was just I suppose it was just nice after a couple of injury riddled years for you to get back there. Definitely, and say, yep, it's working and. I'm now running a PB and I'm going to continue to train. And it's as obvious as it sounds. If you, by not getting injured, I've just strung together all this consistent training and all the PBs just keep coming. Yeah, and and I think that that's um, a really um, wise comment too. Is um, it's very easy to just have that short term mentality in running and go, okay, my goal race is six weeks away. Um, I'm just going to train flat out as hard as I can. Uh, for the next six weeks and uh, do this goal race um, and and have that short-term mentality and because and you're training flat out um, over six weeks you, you break down and, and then you and then you're injured um, and it's that whole boom or bust cycle but because mm. um, because you were starting to sort of think about the whole the whole picture and the long-term picture and and, and really uh, focusing on the purpose of each run and uh, okay um, there's only um, two sessions this week, and they're the, they're the ones that count. And then every other one is just recovery. Or um, yeah, I, I think um, that long-term approach, where yeah, you, you might not be training as hard, but you're not getting injured. Um, it's the way to go. Oh, for sure. And also, you taught me as well how much confidence you can get from hitting a workout and staying in fourth gear and knowing that you have more, but you didn't need to use it. And after stringing together a few months of training sessions, staying in fourth gear, I then realised I'm now staying in fourth gear, but I'm running faster than I ever have in training anyway. Yes. But the fitness kept improving. Yep. And so yeah. you don't, didn't have to go to the well to still gain fitness in terms of getting, you know, you talk about stimulating um, your aerobic system, not annihilating it. And that has been the mantra, hasn't it? Like a, a lot of sessions we've, we've mentioned... Um, yeah, just go to fourth gear, um, nothing more. Um, 
and and it it is a really good um just little little mantra to have in your head when you when you're going into a session I think because it makes you you go okay well this isn't my race is it don't leave my race effort on the training track exactly yeah nice and then um there was the 10k at Albert Park like I remember watching that and I, I remember seeing the the smile across your face as you crossed the line and the little fist pump yeah that was another good one so yeah the um the Bass Victoria XCR 10k at Albert Park running 31.46 which nice. was a a 45 second PB this year. Yeah, that's a massive one. And especially that it was a pretty windy day too. And um, yeah, so nice to wake up in the morning and think, oh, this is not a very good day. I don't know how the day will turn out to still run a good PB. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was impressive. And, and when I, I remember when it, it was that one particularly, um, and then perhaps um, your, your Ballarat 15k result as well, um, where I was like, yeah, you're, you're really um, starting to get some momentum here. Yeah, and again, you know, I want to keep improving and, you know, you're, you're ahead of me and there are a few, lot of other runners well ahead of me, but to run the same pace that I did at the Albert Park, it was my 10k BB and almost to the same pace a couple of weeks later at Ballarat was another big confidence booster as well. Yeah, because that was 47, 50, eight wasn't it yeah yeah which yeah. It taught, taught me again the importance of not getting caught up about the watch and your pace and yeah again i'm lucky that i had you know had a good group to run with that day um you know hachi on the front to chase another big I, battle with hachi it's been good he's been very very uh very good uh carrot dangling in front of me in the races <laughs> but yeah it taught me not to, i think if i had have looked at the pace in that race i would have thought oh no i'm on my 10k pace here i better slow down and so yep. i probably didn't know my own limits and i'm still learning where they are which is good fun yeah i actually had um, um another athlete i coached jess dunsmore um over the weekend who did a very similar thing he didn't wear a watch and um he uh, misjudged the burnley half marathon on the weekend and thought they were finishing um, at three laps rather than four laps. And so he, he just went a bit early. And if he had his watch on, he wouldn't have done that. But it, it ended up going well for him because he ended up running um, yeah, under 70 minutes, which was a huge PB for him. Um, and he really surprised himself. But there's, there's something about, um, uh, yeah, the, the watch can sometimes uh, um, in a race, um, yeah, put those little ceilings, ceilings on what you think you can do. Yeah, exactly. And especially if in training we're, going, we're staying in fourth gear, then maybe we don't know exactly what that limit is. So if you yeah. you come up with a time in mind that you, you think what you can race at, yeah, you might be holding yourself back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, exactly. Like it, it, the, it, it's good to sort of, um, uh, I mean, use the watch here and there in training to hold yourself back. Um, but then... Um, on, um, you know, it, ha- it has its benefits, but then it also has its drawbacks as well. Yeah, exactly. And even on the weekend when I ran in Burnley in the half, I did have pace on, but I think I'm learning not to have to look at it too much. Yes. In the past, I probably would have looked at it, more, you know, multiple times every kilometre to the point where it was overanalyzing it. Whereas, yeah, I remember at 10Ks in the race on the weekend thinking, well, I know that's the pace. I don't need to look at my watch for this next lap, just run. Yeah, and it's just having the self-control to know to do that as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I've often found that like, um, like use the watch here and there um, as a as a little bit of a a guide, but not obsessively. And then and then just be focused on on the now and in the race, and um, and just go, okay, well, if I can be first in the pack that I'm in, then I know I'm going to have a good race, and ultimately I'm going to have a good time. So, um, and, and I think if you just run a good race and and uh, focus on the people around you and and uh sometimes that can be a really nice way to to not um get in that negative headspace definitely and it's taught me a lot about my headspace in a race where i think in the past i would have been analyzing yeah the 10 kilometer mark of a half marathon this is what the pace says this is how i feel i'm worried about how i feel later yeah i've been and again talking to you and learning about well just think about how do you feel now don't worry about what's coming later like if you feel good be in the now and yeah 5k's you'll you'll deal with it down the track and often i feel better than i 
expect to be later in the race. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I'm worried I'm gonna get more. You know, I'm worried I'm gonna blow up, and I still haven't. You know, recently in a race, really misjudged it by listening to the body. So it's it's a skill I've been enjoying learning to get better at. And um, outside of running, I do have some mornings when I do a little bit of a meditation as well. And I've learnt that when I'm meditating, I'm trying to not think about anything, and I'm trying to learn how to do that when I'm running again. Not learning not to worry or if I'm tired, not to overanalyze that as well. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. A bit of Kipchoge. Yeah, exactly. I just need to do a lot more practice at uh, getting get my inner Kipchoge going. Yeah, I mean, the amount of stress on him, like everyone's watching, um, the amount of pressure, um, yes. but he just looks at, um, as calm as a cucumber. Yeah, no, I love watching that and thinking, yeah, how can we be, all be more, be more like him on the running? Yeah, he, he epitomises that sort of um, that mindfulness um, when it's getting tough. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, no, that's great. And that probably brings us on to the last little um, segment that I wanted to chat about. It was, and it's the uh, Melbourne Marathon. So that was sort of um, what we uh, based our training on. And, and I thought that, like, uh, I thought because you had a couple of years where you, you really struggled with your Achilles, and, and with my own experience, um, I know my Achilles has been so much better when I did start training for a marathon. So I thought, like, yeah, you're going to be able to get your 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathon PVs um, potentially off marathon training. So from January, we really did have that mindset of aiming for Melbourne with the idea of you're going to get your PVs anyway. And it's probably going to be a nice way to get, like, ease your Achilles into the intensity again and, and not go, like, so so harsh on the 400 repetitions and, and so quick um, during the week um, uh, and just sort of ease the intensity um, into your body. Uh, uh, so you've got a pretty hard... Um, I just sent you your program for the last um, uh, five weeks and the next three weeks are pretty hard. Um, uh, yeah. Tell us about um, how you've um, gone with the, the, I suppose, the longer runs and the like that Ballerine Rail Trail we did the other day and... Um, and uh, trying to do some of these longer sessions. Mm. As you said, training for the marathon without as many of the 400s in the short shot speed work has been really good for my Achilles. Yep. Um, it's been, yeah, more about putting in that consistent week on top of week and learning how to get up and do the double runs, so more of the volume rather than, say, doing a really hard session and then needing to... Um, yeah, handle less training over the week, but I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've enjoyed doing more of the longer runs as well. So pretty much in the last few Sundays, every each Sunday has been the longest run I've ever done. So before this block, I'd, the longest I'd ever run was 31K in training. And so yep. we've ticked off a 32, a 34, a 35K run. Yep. And there's actually something that's kind of fun about it that um, when we did the ballerine rail trail the other week, it was the 34. At, on that day, that was the longest I'd ever done. And it was, yeah, something fun about it thinking, oh, not only is it my longest long run, but I'm feeling confident enough in our program that we're going to make it a workout as well. Yeah. But it's not that we were being reckless. Like, we knew that I was ready for that session from what I'd done prior to it as well. Yes. So, again, coming a long way from where I was in January that I would never have been confident enough to go into that sort of uncharted territory. That's great. Um, and so, uh, with Melbourne, um, I know we're going to talk about this probably, like, uh, in the next you know, three or so weeks as we get closer. What Are you happy to put a goal out there or... Um, what is, um, say, a conservative goal at the moment? Like, what is the time goal, say, and, and what do you want to get out of Melbourne? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. Being, being my first marathon, I would, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, to say that we've got the start line healthy, that's the first yes. one. And then have I got there um, and, you know, improved myself as a runner, which I think we'll get that as well. Yep. And I think it, it'll be about putting it all together on the day. So have I, in training, rehearsed my nutrition? Have I rehearsed my mental strategies? Um, yep. 
how I'm going to pace myself, things that we've mentioned about using my watch too much. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, they're probably more sort of process-based goals. Yes. In terms of the outcome, it's hard because doing my first one, I know I've got a few mates that have taken a few attempts to get their marathon right. So I'm, I'm not under an illusion that I'm going to nail it the first time. I'd love yep. to, but I'm also I'm not going in negatively and thinking that I won't, but I also I'm prepared that it may not all play out on the day. But if, if I could put a number on it, I think as a conservative goal, to break 235 would be good. Nah. And I'd be quicker than that. To close to 230 would be very, very good. No, I think I think um, a conservative goal is sub 230. <laughs> 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 and this is me in uncharted territory thinking. Yeah, what can I? What am I capable of? And my coach here is saying he knows my boundaries better than I do, which is <laughs> a good thing to be pushed. <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be um um. So yeah, we've we've obviously um scheduled like your training for the next five weeks. So it's going to be um interesting to see how you go through this last last batch of time, and um and you can only get so much fitter um I suppose over the next um three or so weeks it's just um trying to keep callous the legs just a little bit more and then we've just got to freshen you up uh mm. and and then it's um yeah melbourne marathon but it, it doesn't end there i think um it's just been nice how the, the building towards this process has um really got you going again as a runner yeah it's been like yeah kick-starting my running again and yeah knowing that i can can get super fit <coughs> for, my, for my own standard anyway without breaking down and um, yeah, finding out how much I can keep improving. And it's nice to think that I've still got, you know, quite a few years in me as a marathoner to keep knocking off PBs and improving as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I think um, you're such a talented runner and the, the way that you've um, really improved this year so quickly, um, once you've been able to um, tolerate a bit of mileage um, um, and uh, been able to, you know, string some running together, um, yeah, it's it's been fantastic to see. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty keen to uh, follow up with you again. Um, you know, whether that's um, you know just before the marathon or, or after the marathon, and and um, let the listeners know on uh, you know either how you went or um, uh, yeah, or maybe we even do two epi- two more episodes. Um, but it, it'd be um, I think it's um, we've covered a lot of lot of good territory today, and it's been about an hour now. Um, uh, and um, there's just been some great content and some great learnings um, over the course of this year. Um, mm. Yeah, um, I suppose. Yeah, do you want to add anything else, Brett? Or? Yeah, I'm I'm keen to to keep regularly catching up about how the process is going and talking about our learnings and. Yeah, it's sort of nice to put it, our physio hats on sometimes, think what have we learned about coaching me and what yep. can other people learn from it as well. Yeah, no, I think um, like uh, we've, we've got pretty similar minds as in we like we both love learning, we both like talking about it all. Um, and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed um, coaching you this year and um, in, every time we catch up, I've really enjoyed our chats. So. Uh, I think a lot of listeners can get a little bit out of that, um, our chats, and um, uh, especially those that are keen on running, and or those that have um, you know struggled with injuries, and um, and yeah. even like just um, particularly all the stuff we've touched on today about um, your strength training and, and how you've just gradually loaded up, and then even about the fear of injury and um, the anxiety of injury and overcoming that. Uh, no, there's there's been some great points, and it's it's. Um, um, an hour that I think is well worth a listen. Excellent, and yeah, it just shows that if we've got a you know a program that's not complicated, doing the basics well and being consistent, that things can improve and and go yeah go well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and and it shows that um, I think it you know like we both know a lot about injuries and we both know a lot about running, but. I think it also, um, you know, shows just how important um, chatting to it about to other people about it, like someone external to you, 
um, is in running. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been, um, uh, yeah, re- it really um, has shown that, I think. Yeah, it has. And, yeah, like we said, it's separating out your knowledge from what you might do with yourself. And sometimes you can think something and you can talk, like, about what a session might be, but then you can talk it out loud and you think, oh, okay, when I talk about it, I realise that it's not how it sounded and you can make adjustments just from, you know, having those chats regularly as well. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if you ever get this, um, but I feel like there's two voices in your head sometimes and there's one voice willing you on to, to go harder and do more and then there's the other logical sort of voice of reason saying, oh, you know, what would, uh, you know, what would um, someone else um, tell yeah. me to do? Exactly, and we often find that middle ground when we nut things out and work out a good compromise in the middle. Yes, no, no, so true. And all right, it's getting pretty late, mate. Um, I'm so appreciative of the time and um, and your, your awesome answers and um, and the knowledge that you've brought um, to the podcast. And uh, like I said before, I've loved loved working with you this year, and um, I'm sure the listeners are going to find this podcast uh, quite valuable. Thanks heaps, Dane. It's been a pleasure. Nice, mate. All right. Um, I'll see you later. See ya.